You're listening to Single Payer Radio on forwardradio.org. Forward Radio is not responsible for the comments and opinions here. Those are solely the responsibility of those who are speaking. And this is WFMP LP 106.5 FM and the Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare sponsors this show three times a week. And we're very happy to have four people here to gather to bring you this particular show. I'm gonna do a, a brief introduction of this uh, outstanding group and I'll let them add some additional things if they would like to. With me from Kentucky is Mary Radford, a registered nurse and a member of the steering committee of Kentuckians for Single-Payer Healthcare. She is also specialized in infection control, which we certainly need these days <laughs> in all parts of our country. Thank and, you, Kay, hi. <laughs> and our uh, guests from Indiana, they are the longtime, hardworking, wonderful leaders of the Indiana Medicare for All. They are Karen Stone. Karen Greenstone. <laughs> Karen Greenstone. <laughs> yes. And um, she is uh, an expert in single payer healthcare and also in the art of making pottery. <laughs> and uh, with her is Dr. Rob Stone who is a former emergency department physician and currently uses his skills in palliative care. So did I get any of that right? All of it. Yes. Uh, the one thing that I would add for me is that I am a serious gardener and, uh, and this is the harvest season. So it's a busy time around around our place. Yes, and uh, they're setting a, sitting in a beautiful spot in, near Bloomington, Indiana, and they do very hard work to try to bring health care to the people of Indiana and the people of the whole country. So the thing I would like to start with, if we could, is um, to have you explain what are direct contracting entities, and how have you been involved with this issue? Okay, you came right out of the gate with <laughs> a very difficult question. And I will preface my remarks about direct contacting entities or DCEs by saying, I think they're intentionally designed to be complicated and hard to understand. And it's very, um, that's part of the frustration around all this. So Kay and Mary, rein me in if I get, if you think I'm going down a rabbit hole, but we have to back up a little bit and talk about our patchwork quilt of a healthcare system with Medicare and Medicaid and private insurance and, and the millions and tens of millions of uninsured. 
And and so looking at Medicare, which I think is maybe not a bad idea just to quickly remember that Medicaid is a program that's designed for people with low incomes. And Medicare was designed to be uh, a, a part of actually of the Social Security program uh, for people age 65 and above. And that, that's the original intent of all this. Now, Medicare now also covers uh, a number of disabled people and other groups like um, people on um, renal uh, kidney dialysis and things like that. So, but traditional Medicare came about in 1965 and you, it is, we have a a system of universal healthcare for everybody once they turn 65 in this country, at least 99.4% or something of people can be on Medicare and it is the government provides healthcare and they guarantee healthcare and they are, they take the place of the insurance company. Now in the tinkering around with Medicare in those years since 1965, they've also made some so-called improvements in Medicare um, specifically uh, what was called uh, what's called Medicare Advantage which was added or grafted onto or forced upon the Medicare program as part of uh, George W. Bush's, George Bush the first law that is more often thought of or are described as um, the Medicare drug coverage, the Medicare drug program, because there wasn't any pharmaceutical coverage in Medicare before that. And Medicare needed some pharmaceutical coverage, but the whole a thing with drug ad- being added to Medicare is all complicated by the donut hole and all these things that we've heard about and get a little bewildering pretty quickly. But they also created this thing called Medicare Advantage, or sometimes we call it Medicare Disadvantage. And so we're not going to go too deep on this, but Medicare Advantage was part of this drug drug process. The bill is actually called the Medicare Modernization Act. And what was that in the 90s or I forget when mm-hmm. that was. Um, and so Medicare Advantage is, is blatantly an attempt to privatize Medicare under uh, uh, under the smokescreen, under the fog of um, we'll give parts, we'll, we'll allocate parts of Medicare to private companies because the private sector can always do it better and more effectively, which of course is code for um, we'd really like to uh, suck some profit out of this for our uh, wealthy friends. And keep in mind that health and the whole insurance industry is also is part of the financial industry. It's part of the banking industry. It's it, it's all cut from the same cloth. And so um, health insurance companies and and you know, the largest sector of people in this country who have insurance have it through employer-based health and private health insurance from for-profit companies. Um, so in medic, but the people in Medicare can elect for this thing called Medicare Advantage, and somewhere around forty to forty-five percent of people now uh, get their Medicare with Medicare Advantage, and so they actually get their Medicare through Humana or United Health. Or in Indiana, Anthem is a big one, and so they have traditional Medicare, but not really because they have Medicare Advantage. And what what has happened 
is that it's this dirty little secret, and it shouldn't be a secret at all because many of us have tried to publicize it. But the Medicare Advantage programs, um, if you sign up for one of them, they may they they put together these packages that up front say, well, you won't have to pay uh, you'll have to pay little or no premiums for your Medicare because. Again, this all gets a little complicated pretty quickly, but there's Medicare Part A, which is hospitalization, Medicare Part B, which is physician services. And so you end up paying a little premium for Medicare. And I'm on Medicare. I've been on Medicare for five years now. Um, and, uh, Medic and those Medicare premiums are generally deducted from your Social Security. And so those premiums are pretty low particularly compared to somebody who's 64 years old and buying insurance on the private marketplace. But anyway, the Medicare Advantage programs generally offer even lower premiums and uh, maybe offer some other little tweaks like some dental coverage or something. But what the, and that's what they put up front. But the trouble is it's an insurance contract with a private for-profit insurance company and there's fine print. Oh. And the biggest thing, surprise, <laughs> who would have ever guessed? Uh, and the biggest thing about being in Medicare Advantage is that you don't have, um, is that you, you are probably going to have who you can see as a as your caregiver, as your physician, limited by, there are going to be limited networks. And so if you want to go to Vanderbilt, uh, or heaven forbid, if you wanted to go to the big medical center in Indianapolis from Kentucky, you might well find that Vanderbilt, for instance, is completely out of your network in your Medicare Advantage program. So you're limited in where you can go. Whenever So anyway, the insurance companies are finding ways to try to limit what you can actually do in order to save money, because that's what they do in order to they don't do this as a public service. They do this because they're trying to make a profit. Yes. And, um, and so they find ways to save money. And those are generally in limiting your care and denying care and saying who you can and can't see as your caregiver. And, and then they also suck money. The Medicare Advantage programs have also learned other ways to suck money out of the government. And so patients, so people who have a Medicare Advantage plan um, end up costing the government more than people on traditional Medicare. In other words, the Medicare Advantage program people end up draining the Medicare trust fund because there are the, 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 the Medicare Advantage entities, and Humana is a big one, uh, have found ways to suck money out of the system that ends up costing the taxpayers. So that's one important little bit of this. So going to leave that <laughs> for the moment, other than to say, um, if anybody listening to this has it is themselves are themselves covered by a Medicare Advantage plan. I'm not saying that you should necessarily change what you're doing right now. Uh, I think Medicare Advantage is really bad policy, and that's why I think it, I would like to get rid of it. But uh, individual people, you've made your choices. You need to be a little careful because sometimes if you try to get out of a Medicare Advantage plan, you can find some. There are some disadvantages, so it's a, it's not quite as simple. So. I'm not telling you that you definitely should just 
abandon your Medicare Advantage plan. On the other hand, if you're under age 65 and thinking about what's ahead, um, when you go on to Medicare, I would strongly encourage that you um, go to into traditional Medicare, not Medicare Advantage. Yeah, I so, think that's a really good way to put that, um, you know, because once you're in it, you know, you everyone just be really mindful and do what's best for you. You know, I mean, we we're advocating for a single payer health plan, but like, you know, at my age, I mean, I certainly use my insurance, right? So it's like, you know, always do what's best for you and make sure that, you know, you're caring for yourself. So I think you did a really good job of describing um, a really great, like broad bird's eye view. Um, but you are specifically in hospice care, correct? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious, like, how does this kind of encroachment into hospice care, like, do, does that have um, a unique set of um, circumstances for you, or does it create unique challenges that maybe you wouldn't see as a as a health as a hospital doc? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because most of my career was in the emergency department, and so I had this front car and the roller coaster of uh, American healthcare. I had this front front row seat. Because uh, in the emergency room, you see everybody, you see the rich and the poor, and you see, I would see so many people who delayed coming into the ER with chest pain or symptoms of a stroke or anything you can imagine, because they were afraid of the bill. Um, and it was awful and it was heartbreaking. And, and it was one of the and it was one of the things that inspired me to want to work um, for a universal system because our system is so broken and it's so obvious from the from the perspective of the emergency department. Mm -hmm. Then starting in 2011, 2012, I started working in palliative medicine, including in hospice. And hospice in some ways is the opposite of, of that because hospice is a wonderful program that takes care of people usually in their last six months of life. And it is a team approach where uh, your doctors and nurses and uh, their chaplains and massage therapists and uh, all these people work together to give you care. And, and, in medic and most of those people then are, are, the majority of those people are in Medicare, they're 65 and above. But the private insurance companies are pretty good generally about Medicare and, and the most of the um, hospice programs, at least the one I work for, which is not for profit, we will absolutely take uninsured people uh, and, and provide charity care. So hospice is, is kind of the almost a model for ideal, for what an ideal healthcare system would be, is that everybody's in, everybody's covered, everybody's drugs are covered. Um, everybody gets comprehensive care, um, but it's just at the very end of their lives. Later, I think maybe we'll come back and, and talk about some of the threats that are threats to hospice because hospice is also turning into, um, is be becoming privatized. But um, shall we go on now and try to figure out this uh, ACO reach and DCE stuff? Oh, that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be wonderful. We're, we're trying to get a handle on it because uh, 
you know, Medicare is uh, the best program that we have in terms of being publicly funded and the most expansive in terms of inclusion, pretty much of everyone over 65, but there are still problems with it. And uh, we have some new problems that have occurred in the last couple of years with the direct contracting entities. And uh, could you help us to understand that? Okay. Um, I wanted to yes. interject something before Rob starts, because when we started hearing about uh, DCEs, we got an email from uh, from um, IU Health saying, Indiana University Health, saying that uh, we didn't have to do anything. We've been enrolled in a DCE, and this is just to let you know. And so we started doing some investigation. What does this mean for us? And I started calling around uh, at, say, because I wanted to say, I do not want to be part of a DCE. So how do I disenroll from it? And nobody knew what I was talking about. These are IU health people and nobody had any idea what I was talking about. And then eventually um, they said, it's your physician that is enrolled in the DCE. If you don't want to be enrolled in a DCE with that physician, you'll, you'll have to find another physician. But it's not you, you are still a traditional, you are still enrolled in traditional Medicare, it's that your physician is involved with a DCE. So that was the springboard to, you know, what are these things? Because nobody seemed to know when, I, I, I must have talked to five different people and nobody knew what I was talking about. They'd never heard of it. And most people still haven't, I think. It's still mm -hmm. some, right. mm -hmm. something new, but I think it's something that, we have to help people to understand so we can figure out what we need to do to protect our Medicare and to move the country forward to a truly universal single payer national health care system that takes care of everybody and doesn't isn't just a pathway for making profit out of health care. Mm -hmm. right. 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 And and. You know, Medicare is, is not perfect. It, it needs uh, a number of improvements, but uh, it's it's a better model to start building from than private insurance by far. And we'll kind of discuss more about why that might be. Um, and for me, all this is very much a part of my work as part of, and how I met Kay it was because of uh, being a, a member of Physicians for a National Health Program, PNHP, who I'm sure people who are regular listeners to this program um, are quite aware of, of PNHP. And I'll just though remind people and plug again that if you want to really start trying to understand some of this some of this complexity, um, pnhp.org is a great place to start. So, um, so coming back to, let's see. So the Affordable Care Act, sometimes known as Obamacare, when it passed, there was a, a part of the Affordable Care Act that was trying to figure out how to maybe make Medicare work a little more efficiently and, um, and meaning that maybe things like people wouldn't be quite as likely to get a blood test one day and then have another doctor order the same blood test a, uh, a couple of weeks later or 
things like that, that you know, maybe care could be coordinated a little bit better and that maybe there'd be some ways to incentivize uh, doctors and healthcare systems and hospitals to be mindful of where money was being spent inefficiently. Uh, all this sounds so good. Uh, and um, so they created, as part of the Affordable Care Act, so this is uh, under the Democrats and, and Obama, uh, these things called Accountable Care Organizations, or ACOs. And the alphabet soup will get thicker as we go on. But the ACOs were created and within mostly within Medicare, and um, they were very much in the background, uh, and they uh, were something that I, I was aware of only because I was a policy wonk, uh, not because it was affecting my medical practice in any way, uh, although I was aware that my, so I work for this Indiana University Health, as well as uh, I get my medical care from Indiana University Health because we've conglomerated the hospital and all the doctors here, but that's a whole other story. Um, so, um, so that's, so these ACO things were in the background and, and I read a bit about them and it was always really hard to wrap my head around about how they were actually going to save any money. Uh, and it turned out they never saved any money. Um, <laughs> uh, although, um, if you, if some of you are, um, uh, really curious and start Googling things, you'll find intelligent uh, or apparently intelligent people or at least people with advanced degrees who will publish things about how great ACOs have been, but there's no good data that they've actually saved any money. So, but they were operating in the background. And so um, then as time went on um, under the Trump administration, um, so, um, so now it, it was Republicans doing this. They decided to extend this ACO concept um, to create this other thing called DCEs, direct contacting and direct contracting entities. <laughs> the center here was called the Center for Innovation. Yes, the Center for Innovation, which is a part of uh, the Medica Medicare in, in Washington, DC, part of the Health and Human Services. Um, and, and the Center for Innovation was created by the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, Kay and, and I talked about them on our last show. So yeah, we got Oh, great, great. Yeah, Good. sorry. Yeah, and, but, and so part of the thing about the Center for Innovation was that they can do things without necessarily getting any congressional approval. And so they decided to create these DCEs and the way that really makes the most sense to me, and maybe it sounds a little cynical, but I think it's the truth, is, is that the companies that got involved in Medicare Advantage, um, uh, you know, that are covering now 40 or 45% of people on Medicare, found all these ways to make Medicare Advantage very profitable for them. And so um, when it was demonstrated how profitable uh, providing Medicare Advantage coverage would be, people with uh, people who like to make lots of money started salivating at the thought of, well, how can we suck some money out of traditional Medicare? Um, and so um, they proposed these things, which are going to, which with, with the uh, called DCEs, that were going to put patients into these entities based on this crazy 
vague ACO thing. And they were going to put doctors in it and they were going to maybe not even let people know that they were in these things. And it was just going to be dark and mysterious. And why are they even doing this unless it's just to get money out of the system? Um, but it wasn't very well publicized. And it was actually people, it was PNHP people who, who I first learned from that uh, that these these DCEs were going to be rolling out and that uh, they were keeping it quiet and secret, but it looked and that some of the companies getting involved in this were private equity firms and um, you know just big money uh, handlers. Um, and there just couldn't be anything good to come out of this. And so a number of organizations with with quite a bit of um, leadership from PNHP started raising a fuss about this, and particularly with some support from some people in Congress, uh, particularly Katie Porter, representative from California, um, that the the idea was, um, this sounds bad and people not being informed that they're being put in these things and they, they're they in traditional Medicare, maybe because they want to just be in traditional Medicare. Um, and so over the over last summer, a year ago, um, PNHP started raising the alarm and other groups as well, a number of partners on this. And, um, and there was even some congressional hearings and um, uh, the president of PNHP, Dr. Susan Rogers, testified. Um, and so that was all going on just about a year ago. So I believe it was September last year that uh, that the that the Center for um, Health, what was it called? Innovation, Innovation um, announced that um, that we're stopping this DCE program. Um, and by the way, uh, we're also we're starting a new program, which is actually the same program um, called now uh, ACO Reach. Uh, so ACO for this Accountable Care Organization and Reach. Oh my God, I can't. Reach is realizing equity and community health care. I think everything has to be an acronym. I swear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the only, as far as I can tell, the only difference between the old um, uh, the, the old DCE, the Trump era DCE, and the Biden area ACL reach is that um, there's a slightly improved amount of transparency in that uh, they've got to notify they've got to clearly notify doctors and patients that they're in the ACO reach thing, which will be starting next January. Um, but it's what's called an opt out, meaning they, they, they can give you one notification by email or paper mail um, uh, saying that you're in it and then you can take the initiative to get out of it, but it, they're not asking permission to put you in it. Um, but I think this is like Karen was saying, it's going to be this. I think there's, but they are going to notify the patients. Uh, we've already been notified. Um, and uh, they're not going to just throw doctors into it without letting them know they're in it. And they're, and, and then they reached around for what are some of the favorite buzzwords right now that we might be able to play on. And 
Um, I think everybody understands how uh, our current healthcare system uh, has many aspects of it that reflect structural racism, that uh, reflect the inequalities of healthcare um, uh, for people of different colors and uh, different, and all, but also different. Um, you know, more rural people or often find healthcare is harder to uh, to get, and all these problems that all the inequalities and, and inequities in healthcare. Um, so they so they decided that they're going to reframe the, uh, the ACO reach as also being uh, trying to take some steps to um, address inequalities in healthcare and. My understanding is that what that means is there will be one little bit um, in the way all the finances of ACO reach are is done that um, uh, enrolling anyone in it who um, meets some criteria for for low income, I believe, um, maybe race as well. I'm not sure, but the, the program gets thirty two dollars a year for uh, making sure they take care of these people so it's kind <laughs> so of a, get, i understand that they get additional money the direct contracting entity which could be venture capital or yes. equity or a big insurance company you know humana is one of the dces operating yeah. in many states but i think they get more money simply for uh, clarifying and collecting the data that shows that you're underserved, right, not right. for doing anything. Yeah, not for doing that anything. That repairs that that problem and gives you additional care. So it really is a sinister kind of uh, plot that we are facing. Yeah, and um, Kay, just to add to that, Kay and I were talking last week about, you know, these, all of these different systems. It's, and like you said, it, it feels intentionally complicated. And uh, my word for was it uh, was a, um, it's, it's sneaky. It's just like, mm -hmm. there's all these like, weird things that they're doing, they're making it hard, they're making it confusing. It's just, it's a really sneaky way to like provide care when the simple answer is just like, let people get the care that they need. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually like, to that point, I was listening to your all's radio program to help me prepare for this one. And um, y'all were interviewing one of the speakers from a recent, um, your recent rally uh, mm -hmm. that we're, we're gonna talk about. And mm -hmm. she made the comment that as a type one diabetic, she that used to be on Medicaid. She was like, Medicaid was easier, mm -hmm. you know, like it was. I just went and I got the care that I needed, and it was taken care of. And now she's on an employer based, you know, and everyone thinks employer based is preferable. But she kind of led me to believe that she kind of liked Medicaid better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so I don't know, is that a good segue to uh, talk about your um, your event that you had over the summer, right? Right. Let me say one more thing, because sure. there's an ongoing story happening here, too. So I was notified in an email about maybe the 1st of July or so. It's been a while. Uh, somewhere in there that um, uh, I will 
that I'm going to be um, uh, and I'm going to be enrolled as as a, as one of the physicians in the IU Health um, ACO Reach, and it was um, a a long email that said, um, nothing's going to change. Don't worry about this. You don't have to do anything. I'm just letting you know that as of January 1st, you're going to be um, in the ACO reach. And so I thought, okay, um, I think I'm going to decline. They didn't ask me if I wanted to. They just told me I was going to be. Uh, and I said, hmm. So uh, I wrote an email to the um, the 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 person in the bureaucracy whose name was on the not somebody I knew whose name was on this email and I said um, I would like to decline to be enrolled in the ACO reach and if um, you or anyone else uh, would like to discuss my reasons for that I'd be more than happy to discuss it oh that's a great thing and mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear what happened so. <laughs> So far, so this is the the ongoing story. Um, so, um, so, she, so this woman wrote back about fairly quickly, within a week or so, uh, and said, uh, "We will honor your request," and uh, and not much more than that. But then, um, the next day or so, um, I got an email from the guy who is my boss essentially in the in the in our healthcare um in our physician group um he's the the top administrative uh guy there's a top administrative doctor who kind of does the doctor side and then there's a top administrative basically financial guy so this was the finan the financial guy um and um he's actually a very earnest young guy who I've known for 10 years or so um, because he's been working his way up in the hierarchy. And he's a guy who's been very helpful to me when I've had questions about um, how to code my charts and make sure I'm billing properly and stuff. So he's a nice guy. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, so he, so now he's risen up to be the, actually be my boss. And um, so it puts him in kind of an interesting situation because he's, he's known me for a while and he thinks I'm, uh, an okay doctor and I'm telling him this. And, and um, so I sent him, um, so he said, could we talk about this? And I said, be glad to. And I sent him a, an email with several links to um, mostly PNHP sources about what the problems were and, and, my, Don, and my concerns. And Don oh yeah. And, and also referring, yeah, to, uh, uh, Don Berwick, who is uh, a marvelous guy who maybe some of your really nerdy readers have crossed paths with, but he was the founder and longtime leader of a group called the Institute for Health Improvement. He's a pediatrician. Um, he ran for governor in Massachusetts on a single payer platform, uh, and he's a member of PNHP. Um, and he was the head of... Uh, oh, and he was the head of, of Health and Human Services, not Health and Human Services, but the Medicare. Center for Medicare and Medicaid uh, under Obama. Yeah. So he's an amazing man. Uh, and he wrote some of the most interesting uh, early pieces on um, the, the worries about DCEs uh, and then now ACO Reach. 
so he uh, so anyway yeah so he, he's a, a good name a, a good person to use and he's published a lot of stuff in in, in the, the nerd the medical nerds favorite journal called health affairs and so um anyway so so this young guy uh his name is chip um he and i sat down and um he was very nice and uh but it was uh, he's a very nice guy uh but it was very clear that he's trying to figure out what to do, what to say, because people up, somebody has apparently given him the idea that um, they better be careful about this. Um, and so I explained things and and he said, um, okay. Um, and uh, and actually I, I told him that I'd already received um, email notification from the ACO reach people in the organization that they would honor my request and not be in it. Um, he didn't actually know that. He was a little surprised. Um, and so I'm still waiting to hear um, anything more. So when I met with him was probably in late July. And so, um, but he did indicate that probably they, probably the, our organization was going to want to set some kind of guideline standards, procedures or something for any physicians who chose not to be in it. Um, and I haven't heard anything more. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm expecting that sometime uh, relatively soon, I'm going to hear some more. And um, I'm looking forward. To, I, I was very honest. I was very straightforward with him. I said, uh, I said, Chip, my, my goal is very simple for doing this. It's really not so much that I don't want to participate in this. It's that I want to raise a point and hopefully change IU Health as an organization and convince them to drop out of the ACO REACH program. <laughs> and I smiled and he smiled. <laughs> that would be great if yeah. that would be the result. I was wondering if, you know, I think if it were... Uh, not such a, 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 a high up profession that probably the person would just be terminated. Yeah. If they yeah. didn't want to, to participate. And I don't know whether you really have the freedom to maintain your position and not participate in the DCE. So that's what they've got to figure out. Because on the one hand with me, from my perspective, um, I could have retired years ago. Uh, I'm not working for the money, but uh, I, I see patients two days a week. And so I work part-time and I do it because I love it. And so uh, I, they have no financial leverage over me. Um, and uh, if I retired, it means I could just help Karen in the garden more. I was gonna say, <laughs> I will just recruit him to help with the farm. <laughs> On the other hand, um, I've been practicing in this community for over 30 years. I've been chief of staff of the hospital. I've been on the hospital board. Um, I um, had some involvement in hiring the current CEO of the hospital. And, um, um, and I'm a well-known character. And so um, if they fired me, it would it would it would put me in a in a, in a situation that might have some um, um, interesting aspects that might be kind of fun for me. <laughs> uh, well, 
we shall come from Kentucky <laughs> yeah. to, yeah. to join you. <laughs> to pick it outside be, the hospital. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if there should be any such thing as an effort. But, you know, that kind of resistance really could be expanding everywhere. Once people understand what it is and the threat to privatize our Medicare program, and, you know, I mean, they're draining the trust fund yes. from Medicare, and they're putting people without their consent into programs where there is a profit incentive to give less care. They are placed into capitated programs so that the DCE, the contractor, the private equity, the insurer gets a flat payment per month per person. And that can be a lot if the person didn't get any care that month. It just racks up in terms of profit and you can see it in terms of the profits of these insurance entities. In fact, it's, it's my contention that, you know, we have, I have a friend who's a Harvard, Harvard law graduate. And he says, I don't understand why they keep doing more experiments with accountable care organizations because they're clearly not working. They don't improve quality. They don't save us money. Sometimes they even cost us more or bring down the quality. Why can't they get it through their heads that this isn't working? My contention is that it's working for the purpose for which they want. And that is it's, it, the privatization of Medicare, the entrance of middlemen and profit making into our Medicare and Medicaid programs. It's working beautifully. It's very successful for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what you know, we have to, they have a different interest than we, the people or the patients or the physicians or the nurses have. Mm -hmm. Their interest is, is a very different one. They see this as an industry and we see it as something that is supposed to fulfill <laughs> our compassionate care uh, for each other and to take care of everybody in our country. So this is a big battle uh, around ending this effort to privatize Medicare, because if they can succeed with that, they destroy uh, the Medicare, which is the best model that we have for public mm -hmm. funding healthcare. So I'm in awe of your position that you took this on, Rob. <laughs> And that, well, yeah, I, I think um, I think that's so, that is such a good um, tale to to share as well, because it's like, you know, they're finding ways that like doctors can be more involved, you know, um, at that level, I think, mm -hmm. you know, is really important, has a lot of important potential, you know, like we see it somewhat for nurses, like in nurses unions, notably, notably um, National Nurses United, mm -hmm. you know, they're some of the biggest advocates for Medicare for all there is. But mm -hmm. I think like that idea of like, you know, um, uh, just like a lar a mass movement of doctors who just like refuse to sign up, I think is, uh, I don't know, that that is, that's definitely, I think there's a lot of potential for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> do you know? Are there are are there other doctors who have are saying similar things? So that's one thing I've been looking for within uh, and through PNHP, uh, and I have yet to actually get the name of another doctor who has made this choice. Um, and I th and there must be others out there, but it's also, you know, it's been summer and this, this thing really isn't going to take effect until January 1st. And um, so we'll see how that plays out. But I'd, I'd love to connect with other doctors around the country uh, who are doing this too. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is an ongoing movement. I just uh, discovered recently that the uh, Washington State Labor Council, which is the AFL-CIO affiliate for all of the uh, unionized workers in Washington State, came out with a position demanding that there be a termination of the ACO. That's the one you attached on your email the other day. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was thrilled to see that because, you know, it's difficult for people to understand it. and. Yeah. When it's hard to understand, it's hard to mobilize action. And I was thrilled about it. And uh, the retirees in Washington state are going great guns. They've met with every single state representative, uh, congressional representative and their, uh, their senators. And they are absolutely demanding that uh, something be done about it. <laughs> in the course of doing that, they discovered that Susan Del Benny, who is uh, the congressperson from that area, mm -hmm. has a bill in Congress that says we have to have everybody in value-based payments. We have to promote value-based payments, which is like the underlying uh, buzzword for what they think they're doing in these uh, ACOs, which is supposedly paying for outcomes rather than for service, but it's really not so. But anyway, there is a movement going on around the country and we hope to stimulate it by uh, talking about it and uh, urging people to rise up and insist that their Medicare program not be distorted worst with it 45% privatized through Medicare Advantage. Now this is going after the other 55% who chose traditional Medicare and uh, they're seeking to place those people into for-profit plans as well. So mm -hmm. we have a lot on our plate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, with the time that we have left, um, I'd like to bring Karen more into the conversation and talk about some of um, your activism that y'all are doing in Indiana um, and make sure you, you all have plenty of time to give a good plug for um, your organization. Well, as you know, it's been really hard to organize during COVID. So that one of the things that we did with several members of our group is that we, like you, um, have a radio segment on our local community radio, WFHB, in Bloomington, Indiana. And so once a month, we do an interview, <laughs> excuse me, an interview, and we did interview Kay as one of our, one of our segments. Um, so that's been one of the ways we've been able to reach out. Um, a lot of the people in our group are retired and so uh, people are having to be really careful. So we have not had 
really any, we haven't had any in-person meetings for two and a half, two and a half years, more than two and a half years. Yeah. Um, and so we're just doing Zoom meetings. Um, and we haven't had any demonstrations up until July. This July was the first time we had done a gathering and we went to um, Indianapolis to celebrate Medicare's birthday. We were the Midwest kickoff for a week of organizing for uh, in support of Medicare for all around Medicare's 57th birthday. So it turned out to be this, the woman you were talking about, um, Tracy, just did a great job. It was the first time that she had ever organized something like this. And she got people from Northern Indiana, Central Indiana, and then South Central Indiana from, from Bloomington. And, um, and they were, it, it was a really lively group with drumming and chanting. And we gathered in Indianapolis at the, at the um, Monument Circle and then walked over to the State House. And, um, and it was really lively and it was really good to be around people again. Um, so that was very fun. The other thing that we have picked up again is that we, for many, many years, we had a booth at the uh, Bloomington Community Farmers Market uh, in downtown Bloomington, and uh, it it was at the time the biggest community, the biggest farmers market in Indiana. And so every Saturday, we would set up in an area called Information Alley, and we would have our information, and we would collect signatures for. Uh, getting on our, our mailing list or a petition. Um, we had a petition. Uh, we, we do have a petition now for a single payer to the entire Indiana delegation for people to sign. And so we just talked to people and we have this wonderful map. I don't know if you've seen it, Kay. Um, it's oh. a map of the world. It was in the Atlantic um, whew, 10, 12 years ago. And it's uh, it's a map of the world countries uh, with universal health care, without universal health care, and attempting universal health care. And so one of the people who was a graphic artist took this map and color coded it so that um, so that uh, so that we were able to it, it's a, a great visual and I, I could show it to you um, of uh, of where we are with the United States. And you know unfortunately, the United States uh, is listed with third, third world countries because we don't have a universal system. Uh, so and, we're, the, we're the color of all of the poorest countries? Is that well, we're red. We're the color of all the poorest all countries. Of Africa. All of Africa. Mm. And, and actually, this last week, or uh, two weeks ago when we were there, uh, it's just once a month now for Information Alley. Um, it's, we had several people come to our booth and look at the map and say, you need to add in all these Central Asian countries that that now have universal programs. And so uh, several years ago, I had updated the map. Now I need to re-update it. Um, and what we found is that countries are moving toward universal health care and not the way the US is, which is we're really avoiding universal health care. And um, I, Rob's got the map Let's up see. to share. I, 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 I don't know I how may, we could I share have, it. I may have to ask you to... Okay, can you uh, enable screen sharing? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Probably the, there's maybe like three little dots. Oh, gotcha. In the top right corner of your 
view that might say I made you the co-host. I think maybe, oh, maybe co-host. Okay, let's see. I think it'll let me do it now. Yeah. Yeah, if you click on share screen. Can you see it now? Oh yes. Yeah. So this we have um, a big map of this. Uh and uh, we have it on a, a tripod. On an easel, kind of, yeah. Um, in front of our booth, and it people's heads turn. I mean, this is what people really gets their attention. Of all the years we've been doing this, this is the one thing that really gets people's attention. And so that's it's an opening for us to say, you know, what do you think? Um, and uh, and the conversations this year after COVID have been more in depth and more supportive than they ever have been. Oh, that's and, wonderful to hear, Karen. And mm -hmm. people saying, thank you for being here. Thank you for your work. It's really a, a real nice bump to, um, to be there. Uh, it's once a month. Uh, and, and we've, because we're just doing Zooms, we used to have more people at our in-person meetings. It was just more lively and more uh, connective. And so we haven't had a lot of systems. So there's a lot of people at our meetings. And so it's been really great to be able to get back out again and and actually talk with people. And for the people um, listening, so <laughs> since you can't see this map, um, it is really striking. Um, you have the United States and um, parts of South America and Central America, a lot of Africa that's that's just not moving towards universal health care at all. Um, and then a lot of other, you know, comparable countries in terms of wealth and income, um, such as pretty much all of Europe, Australia, um, Canada, and a lot of other parts of South America, actually, as well, um, that are moving towards universal coverage. If y'all will share this with me, I'd love to put it on our Instagram sure. account. Sure. Um, we do have Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. You can check us out on Instagram for the folks yeah. at home. Yeah, yeah map up there. And we need to update it because a lot of these Central Asian countries now have. Oh, right. Yeah, this is the so we need version. to look at it. Uh, we need, to, I, I need to update the map. So this was 2018. So we're, you know, four years later and more countries are moving toward universal health care. Wow. You know, I, I think we see the same thing, Karen, is that the, there's a growing uh, listening to what we have to say about needing a, a national single payer healthcare system. I don't think there's, we, I haven't run into anyone who says the system that we have is working. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, it's working for fewer and fewer people, even those who have coverage are uh, uh, mm -hmm. suffering from having expenses that are so great that keep them from seeing physicians and getting care anywhere. I saw somebody who had a sign that said, one nation underinsured with liberty. Oh, I'm gonna have to make a sign of that. One nation underinsured. One yeah. nation underinsured. And that really is, you know, we've expanded coverage. We still have many people who don't have coverage, but the people who have coverage are not getting care. We have a hundred million people with medical debt, you know, people forego care to save their families. 
uh, income in order to, you know, uh, provide for the other members of their family. It's tragic where we are as a nation. So I don't know, where are we? Maybe you'd like to just give us a brief. Uh, uh, yeah, let's end with, um, yeah, Karen and Rob, tell, tell folks where they can find your organization. I hope we have some Indiana listeners who, who would want to um, check out y'all's website and look more into your group. So plug away. Well, our website uh, is um, sorely needing of, of updating. Um, mostly connection is made through Facebook. Uh, so it's and, Medicare for All Indiana on Facebook, um, or it may actually be Medicare for All Indiana hyphen Bloomington. But if you go Medicare for All Indiana, that'll get you get you there. Uh, and if you go to the PNHP national website and go by states uh, and follow a few menus down, you will find um, our state website. But we haven't been as active at keeping that kind of up and running. And go ahead. Uh, the, uh, the other thing is that we do have chapters in other places in Indiana, which is really nice. We have a group up in Indianapolis. Uh, we have a group in, in West Lafayette. And we have a group in Northwest Indiana. Um, we have people that support us all over the state, but there are active groups in these four places. I think that's it, right? Those currently, yeah. currently. Coming um, so, um, so we're not just out there alone in the wilderness, we do have support, and which was really fun about, about this um, uh, this March that was for Medicare's birthday is that we connected with all these people that, um, that you know, we we see their faces on Zoom, but we had never actually met them. So it was very, it was very yeah. fun. Yeah, I applaud I you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I yeah. saw you marching and all of that. July heat and I oh gosh, have, oh. have great admiration for the work that you're doing and yeah. thank you so much for being with us to have this discussion today and we're going to have to have you back so that we can finish up on it. You're listening okay. to Single Payer Radio with uh, Rob and Karen Greenstone and Mary Radford and Kate Tillow. Thank you for joining us.